0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today.
1: Very good morning to you. You're watching Scorebox this Monday morning. These are your headlines. Ukraine accuses Russia of war crimes as hundreds of civilian deaths are revealed in cities surrounding the capital Kiev. Ukrainian President Zelensky leads the international condemnation. The world has already seen many war crimes at different times, on different continents, but it is time to do everything so that the war crimes of the Russian military become the last manifestation of such evil on Earth. The EU pledges fresh aid for Ukraine and further sanctions on Russia. The EU Economy Commissioner Paolo Gentiloni tells CNBC at the Spring Forum in Ambrosetti that Brussels will strictly enforce the terms of official energy agreements.
2: We have contracts, we will uh, respect contracts and we ask the counterpart to respect contracts.
3: Hong Kong Chief Executive Carrie Lam cites family considerations as she confirms she won't seek a second term in office, bringing an end to her controversial five-year leadership in June. The race is on in France, with less than a week to go before the first round of the election, with French President Emmanuel Macron's lead narrowing, while far-right opponent Marine Le Pen rises in the polls.
0: The fight is now. It's the fight of progress against retreat, the fight of patriotism and of Europe against the nationalists. April's choices are simple. And Tesla bucks the trend reporting record first-quarter deliveries despite supply disruptions and a temporary shutdown at its Shanghai factory.
1: Ukraine has accused Russia's military forces of committing war crimes. Authorities released uh, uh, footage appearing to show mass graves and scores of bodies strewn across roadsides in Bukha on the outskirts of Kiev. Ukrainian forces reclaimed much of the area around the capital after Russian troops began retreating. Bukha's deputy mayor said 50 of the 300 bodies appeared. Uh, to have been found um, with extrajudicial killing signs going on. Uh, Russia has denied its forces carried out any mass killings in the region and described the images released by Ukrainian authorities as, quote, a provocation. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky described the actions of Russian soldiers as genocide and that evil had visited his country.
2: Presidents don't usually
1: write down addresses like this. But today I have to say just that, to talk about the discoveries in Bucha and other cities from where the occupiers were expelled. Hundreds of people killed, tortured, executed civilians. Bodies on the streets, booby-trapped area, even the bodies of the dead are booby-trapped. Widespread aftermath of looting, concentrated evils has visited our land. The killers, executioners, rapists, marauders, who call themselves in an army and who deserve only death after what they have done."
3: European leaders have widely condemned the reports of mass killings and warned of further sanctions against Russia in response to the apparent atrocities. German Chancellor Olaf Scholz said Putin and his supporters would, quote, "...feel the consequences of their actions." Francis Emmanuel Macron described the images out of Bukha as hundreds of civilians cowardly assassinated and that Russian authorities would pay for their actions. Meanwhile, UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson also said he supported tightening sanctions on Moscow and boosting military support to Ukraine. Speaking on NBC's Meet the Press, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken said Russian forces have suffered a major setback as they pull away from the territories around Kyiv. However, he also warned Putin's army could cause further destruction and devastation as it focuses its efforts on eastern Ukraine.
4: This is evidence that uh, Russia's original plans uh, to take over the whole country, uh, including Kyiv, have been uh, dealt a devastating uh, setback. They are regrouping. They may be focusing on the east. But Let's keep in mind, they still have the ability to uh, wreak massive death and destruction, uh, including in, in places like Kiev with, uh, uh, with air power and missiles. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same time, they may be regrouping. Uh, they may be uh, uh, recalibrating. We're focused on, on, on what they're doing, uh, not what they're saying. And um, if it's a refocus on the East, yeah. uh, there's still uh, you know, a tremendous amount uh, that's going to be uh, ahead of us. As President Biden said uh, recently, this could go on for some time. And the question is how much uh, death and destruction Russia wreaks in the meantime.
1: Reports of war crimes by Russian troops uh, has now increased pressure on Europe to close the taps on Russian gas supplies. Lithuania's energy ministry announced Saturday it would end all Russian gas exports from this month. The country's foreign minister also urged other EU member states to stop, quote, financing war crimes with oil and gas purchases. Germany's defence minister, Christine Lambrecht, said the EU should consider an outright ban on Russian gas imports, a move that would mark a departure from Berlin's previous resistance to an energy embargo. Well, I spoke to the EU's economy commissioner, Paolo Gentiloni, about Europe's energy security at the Ambrosetti Forum in Chernobyl. I began by asking him how the bloc is holding up when it comes to the spillover effects of the war in Ukraine and inflation.
2: The good thing is that we entered this crisis uh, five weeks ago uh, in a good footing Uh, and we were um, estimating for this year a 4% growth. Uh, This will slow down for sure, Uh, but the carryover uh, of the uh, previous situation of how our economy went in 2021 uh, will stay and i think that we are not running a risk to enter in negative territory overall in 2022 we will have a lower level of growth then of course for the future there are two or three things more very important to understand how long will the war last for second uh, will the sanction dynamics include also oil and gas coming from Russia this will could also change the landscape and third how all this will impact on the confidence of investors and consumers at the end of the pandemic the high level of confidence was incredible savings accumulated uh, uh, companies wanting to invest how much this will be decreasing because of the new crisis and this is why I think we have to reassure our uh, citizens, Uh, our business people that, yes, we will slow down in our growth, but we are not entering in a recession.
1: In terms of the current dispute about how Russia is paid for its gas and oil, Herr said. We will stick to the contracts as they are in euros and possibly some of them in dollars as well. And that is pretty much the message from Europe. But Mr Putin has said, but unless you pay me in rubles, I can't get paid for my gas and oil because my reserves are not uh, accessible internationally. How do we get out of
2: this impasse? Well, our side is quite easy. We stick to the contracts and uh, 97% of our contracts in Europe are denominated in euro and dollars. And this is what uh, we agree. At the same time mm, not everything is completely clear in this decree so we are now coordinating among member states to understand what are the consequences. For the time being there are no consequences. But in the next
1: two to four weeks um, European gas supplies could be turned off if indeed those payments aren't made?
2: This uh, is something we will see. And from our point of view, um, I think we very clearly um, answer that we have contracts, we will uh, respect contracts, and we ask the counterpart to respect contracts. And we all know that we took decision not to involve some sectors on sanction, not to Swift all Russian banks, And so uh, if there is a political will to cut supply of energy to Europe we will face the situation and manage the situation.
1: The European Central Bank, meanwhile, plans to raise interest rates sometime after winding down its bond purchase programme in the third quarter of this year. This, according to the ECB board member Isabel Schnabel, who went on to say that the speed of normalisation would depend on the economic fallout from the war and the severity of inflation. Eurozone inflation surged to 7.5% in March on Friday, hitting another record high and raising pressure on the ECB to rein in runaway prices even as growth slows sharply. Well, I spoke with Mr Gentiloni, uh, as you heard earlier, the European Commissioner for the Economy, on the sidelines of the European House and Brasetti Forum and asked him whether the ECB was already behind the curve and misreading inflation.
2: The ECB decided a... Uh, its own strategy which is I think gradual and realistic and as they say uh, they will take decision based on data Uh, and monitoring data I think they will take the right decision from a fiscal policy point of view uh, I think that we should should still consider the need to support uh, our economies of course in a much more targeted way the reaction to the pandemic was an overall support Uh, here we need to target the support to avoid uh, to have higher debts and uh, risks of uh, heating the economy and contributing to inflation but uh, there is no uh, room for uh, tightening and uh, drastic restriction uh, now Uh, Not now, not in 2022.
1: So um, very, very good debate, Ambrosetti, about all of these issues, as you'd expect. And everyone's asking those key questions about the ECB and about inflation. Um, One person I spoke to is perhaps Perhaps more defensive as far as uh, saying that the ECB was doing the right thing was Lucretia Reichlin, who is Italian economist at the London Business School. I asked her a similar question to what I asked uh, Mr Gentiloni about whether the ECB could be on the cusp of raising rates, and whether they were behind the curve.
5: The first observation is that uh, there is a difference between inflation in the US and inflation in the euro area. In the US, there is no doubt that inflation is demand-driven, not only because monetary policy has been very, very easy, but also because we've had a much bigger fiscal expansion in the US than in the euro area, so big stimulus uh, in the last couple of years. And in fact, even before the war, you could have seen from the long-term expectation of US inflation that uh, it was uh, way above the target. This was not the case in the euro area before the war. Although of course there were supply side factors due to supply chain disruptions uh, and of course energy had started to pick up before the war. Now with the war of course the numbers uh, are quite worrisome so we have just seen the number in March uh, which you know it's it's a new record (laughs) for, for the euro area but Still, if I look at core inflation, so inflation uh, without the energy, food and tobacco prices, uh, this is relatively stable. We are still at 3%. Considering that we have been undershooting for a long time, I think that we should be really, really careful and avoid the mistakes that were done in the past. For example, 2011, when interest rates were raised in the middle of the debt crisis because uh, energy prices uh, were picking up.
1: So... Monsieur Trichet's mistakes can't be made again. Do you believe that the ECB is on the cusp of raising rates?
5: I don't think so because actually there is a sequence problem as the ECB has been announced. So they are discontinuing the asset purchase programmes and the PEP and then gradually the APP programme and only in a second uh, phase uh, they will consider raising rates. Now, the market uh, uh, anticipates that uh, the increasing rates will start already in, in June maybe. I mean, these are some of the expectations around there. But uh, I'm actually quite concerned about this sequence story because I don't think that in these current circumstances there is much motivation for having negative deposit rates. I think they should consider to go fast on rates while I would be much more cautious uh, on asset purchases.
0: Well of course the market focused on interest rates just about everywhere at the moment not least in Europe so we'll spend a bit of time also talking about the market reaction to the non-farm payrolls number on Friday as the world's largest economy deals with soaring inflation And, of course, some concerns as to a potential recession this year. We'll have that story coming up shortly.
3: And you can stay across the latest on the war in Ukraine and see more of Steve's coverage from Ambrosetti on the Sportbox podcast, available where you get your podcasts. Stocks moving modestly into the green for the Friday trade as we saw the market also digest non-farm payrolls report and we had a fairly decent read on the jobs. We'll get into that in just a minute. But this was how the market traded. Four tens up on the Dow. Positive by about a third of a percent on the S&P 500 and the Nasdaq pushing ahead by a similar range. So you can see across the board big movers like Visa. Alphabet, uh, big drivers for the stock market. And if you look at uh, over the course of the trading week, we didn't make much progress on the week to day performance for the S&P 500. The NASDAQ, though, slightly firmer over the course of the week, up about six-tenths of a percent. That is markets were stressing again about the R-word, recession. We saw the inversion of the yield curve during the course of the week. That continued Friday trade. Let's take another look at that treasury market, the two and the ten where investors uh, were closely watching. You can see it remains inverted today, 247 on the short end versus 2.41 at the longer end. So six basis points higher at the short end of the curve. And this is what the markets are concerned about, that we are seeing a signaling function here about a recession, a downturn or a hard landing. Uh, This, of course, as we saw some decent uh, jobs data, the market is now wondering whether we do have uh, green light for more interest rate hikes here 50 basis points back to back at a series of meetings i want to take you to the asia markets uh, this is ex-china today that uh, chinese market is not trading but again as we talk about some of the threats to the global economy it is the COVID surge and the lockdown that's happening in shanghai that does worry markets for the further disruptions to supply chains and what that could mean for further inflation pressures But the markets that are trading, picking up on some of that green from Wall Street, and you can see modestly firm across from uh, Japan to Australia and also South Korea. In fact, just take a look at Hong Kong, you can see we do have an outsized performance there. The bounce coming as we've seen some progress between regulators in China and the United States about allowing access to audit some of the big technology companies. So Hong Kong tech making up for a lot of the big gains we're seeing in the market today. US futures early on, this is how we are perched. You can see we are setting Setting up for a mostly uh, move into the green on the Dow, at least, to 16 points to the upside. So tilted higher, but it is looking fairly cautious at this hour around the Nasdaq. Jeff,
0: Yeah, let me pick up on the non-farm payrolls number. Uh, the figure then came in slightly softer than the expectation for March. The U.S. economy adding just over 430,000 jobs versus the 490,000 expected. Unemployment figures came in slightly better than anticipated at 3.6%. Average hourly earnings grew 0.4%. That was in line. February's figure saw a significant revision upwards to 750,000. Well, in an exclusive interview with our colleague stateside, National Economic Council Director Brian Deese Praise the numbers which come amid soaring inflation and fears that a recession may be just around the corner.
4: What we're actually seeing in this economy right now is a strong and incredibly resilient labor market, a strong U.S. consumer with household balance sheets continuing to be in healthy shape. And the U.S. actually quite uniquely positioned globally to drive an economic recovery through a number of, uh, you know, a number of shocks.
0: So just briefly on this, um, unambiguously a good non-farm payrolls report here. But I think, Karen, as you were mentioning, it's had the economists just firming up some of their expectations on interest rate trends here. And I, I saw the latest uh, from the uh, NatWest uh, chief economist suggesting, um, I think it was, that there'd be a, a Fed hike of 50 basis points in May, June and july um of course the the big fear and the reason we keep mentioning um stagflation or recession is uh, what the Americans call sticker shock, or I think what we call in in the UK the cost of living issue at this stage. And of course, uh, people like Carl Weinberg out there from High Frequency Economics um, acknowledging the strength of the report, but also pointing out that the big fear potentially this year is that we do see softer household spending beginning to emerge. And that begins to cut away at some of the strength of the economy. And obviously, that's softer household spending coming because it, wages are not keeping up with headline uh, inflation. And of course, headline inflation means higher costs for everybody. And the consequences of the current geopolitical strife we have is that we've got significantly higher energy prices, which is eating into everybody's household income.
3: You can certainly see the motivation for a lot of people to turn around to the employers and say, I want a pay rise, given we are seeing an escalation everywhere uh, across uh, various things that we buy every week and right down to the energy price and at the the petrol pump. And I think if you look at what you saw out of that non-farm payrolls report, it was fascinating that you saw the unemployment rate pull so low at this point, that's what, 3.6% instead of uh, the 3.9% we had the, the month prior. Participation rate up slightly, which is encouraging. But at this point, we've got so many jobs available, which was on the jobs report, uh, the JOLTS report, it does suggest that there's still a huge task ahead, and there may be some wage pressure before the skill shortage gets sorted out.
1: Yeah, but not everyone's suffering, are they? Did you see that um, CEO salaries in the companies that are reported so far in the uh, S and P just? 250 times the median salary of their employees, so they seem to be paying themselves rather nicely. Uh, Over $14 million now is the average pay for an S&P 500 CEO. That's including all the rubbish ones as well, let alone the ones who are doing very well at at the top end as well. Let's get straight to Michael Yoshikami, actually, rather than me spouting on CEO and founder of Destination Wealth Management. Michael, thanks for sticking with us. I think you had some technical problems as well. Look, um, for, for all the talk and bluster and Hand-wringing about what the Fed is and isn't doing. These are the facts. The facts are that U.S. inflation is circa 8% and the Fed has raised once by 25 basis points. That's all they've done for all the talk so far. They are so far behind the curve, aren't they?
4: Uh, Yeah, they're pretty far behind the curve at this point. But, you know, the thing you have to understand, the Federal Reserve is going to focus not only on inflation, but also not... uh, tightening too fast, it'll create a recessionary environment, which is already starting to be talked about right now. You know, I was online with some of one of these Reddit board kind of things that people really go crazy talking about, and they're speculating what they think is going to happen, what's going to happen with the Fed, what's going to happen with inflation. Here's, I think, what's going to happen. Fed's going to let inflation run, try to catch up intentionally so so it doesn't put us back into a double-dip recession. I think that's what's going to happen.
1: Michael, I've warned you about going down the Reddit wormhole with a glass of wine in your hand previously. It's not a good place to be. By the way, I don't know you had a glass of wine. Uh, I, in terms of- But let me of... just say, I
4: I'm not going down the
1: Reddit hole. I have a friend of mine who actually told me
4: about it. I looked online. <laughs> Okay. crazy stuff that's being it was written, just a friend. but I mean, okay, the reality Mark, yes, is... that's
1: fine. <laughs> just, just a friend. Okay, look, in terms of this uh, inversion as well and what uh, everyone's yeah. going on about, the obviously the 210 and the other points on the curve as well, when you've got a central bank that has just basically hoovered up uh, most of the bonds available at one point as well, is the, uh, the inversion on the yield curve actually worth looking at these days?
4: I don't think it's really a big deal right now because the inversion on the yield curve is really based on speculation that the economy is going to be soft later. And we really have right now is, I think, an anomaly of inflation because of the lockdown and really the spring back of economic growth combined with huge supply chain problems, which continues to be a problem in China uh, as they continue to lock down. So I don't think you can really take the same rules as the past and layer them them on top of an unprecedented situation that we hadn't experienced since the Spanish flu 100 years ago. I think that's the mistake people are making right now, making that conclusion.
0: Michael, Michael, what what does this mean for uh, um, investment in equities then in the United States? Because it was a challenging first quarter here, and it it just fits into that narrative that uh, the markets are fundamentally shifting their view on what they expect returns will look like for this year. And yet we know April traditionally is a pretty good month for stocks and a dangerous time to be too aggressively short of them.
4: yeah yeah you know I, I think that um, a couple things I think that the bottoms that we've, the bottom that we've seen lately in equity markets, I would not be surprised to see this uh, is where the resistance sits. And you're going to see um, markets really bump up against that resistance because I think you're already starting to see pricing in of uh, higher oil prices, higher inflation, lower corporate profits. And I think that absolutely is going to impact investor sentiment right now. But I think, again, once the economy starts to open up and believe it or not, once oil prices start to drop, when things start to calm down between Russia and Ukraine, um, I think you're going to see more of a normalization in terms of stock earnings. So I wouldn't be surprised to see upside surprises in the second half of this year.
0: But obviously, there are a lot of assumptions baked into that about what you expect will happen later in the year. For the moment, do you stick with a sort of cyclical value approach as you search for some security? Or do you continue to uh, perhaps buy technology and growth whenever we get a slight dip? Yeah,
4: well, you know, I I think what you want to look at is you want to look at a barbell approach because I think that a barbell approach um, really allows you to buy some of the tech that's beaten down. And there's a lot of large cap tech beaten down right now. But at the same time, Not to be so focused on that one um, perspective and instead buy, as you mentioned, more cyclical value, staples, dividend-oriented assets. assets like financials that are going to benefit from higher net interest margins. So I think you want to have a combination approach. I think it's a danger right now when the economy is in transition to pick one horse to bet on. I think you need to really spread the risk out. Uh, and I think that's when you get the proper risk return ratio, when you have not only some value, but also some growth in your portfolio, Jeff.
3: Michael, it doesn't feel like we're done yet with the energy story, given that we still have developments around Russia, Ukraine, but we did see a fairly significant retreat around Brent and WTI over the course of last week, or double digit falls in both. But there was the Shanghai moment where investors too were just questioning whether we see a demand hit with lockdowns around the COVID surge. What do you do with this uh, reset around the oil price at the slightly lower level?
4: Well, I, I think, first of all, I think oil prices at a slightly lower level, as you mentioned, Karen, are still way too high. I don't think that's where the real demand lies. This is more of a supply issue right now rather than demand issue. And so I think you're going to continue to see if if the assumption is that Ukraine and Russia will sort of calm down in the next month or so, I think you're going to see some stabilization in oil prices. I would not be surprised to see oil prices drop $20 a barrel from where they're at right now, because I don't think the demand is there. Uh, Even though economies are growing, I think it's a supply issue. OPEC's already said they're going to increase supplies. Uh, U.S. is releasing strategic reserves. I know European Union's talking about this as well. Um, So I would be very hesitant to bank on oil oil prices for the long term here in uh, the United States. If you go to California, every third car is a Tesla. So um, you're already starting to see a transition to electric and it's going to continue in the future.
3: Michael, can I ask you about gold? You didn't sound so concerned before about the inverted yield curve, but I wonder whether it's time to take a little bit of protection just in case there's a hard landing.
4: Uh, Well, I wouldn't uh, make the protection uh, based on a a gold play. Gold doesn't pay any dividends. It's had a huge rally. It's at a pretty high price right now. So I think gold is probably not where I'd head. If I'm looking for protection against hard landing, I think there's really two places that you go um, or three places you go. either go in cash, you just get out if you really have a strong conviction, or you go in short duration, fixed income. Uh, Caring short duration, meaning under two years, something that's not very interest rate sensitive, or you go into div pain, more value-based, more fundamental-based stocks, I think that's where you get your protection. I think gold really, in a way, at this price, becomes more of a speculative venture.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving
1: news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cupmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.